0: Welcome back to Bit White of the Podcast, and today we're keeping our spooky celebration going with Freddy Krueger. As always, I'm Kate, and we're here with Adrian.
1: Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello.
0: And we're here with the extra wholesome, extra spooky, Alex.
2: I'm here to talk about murder and teens.
0: <laughs> Not <laughs> wrong. <laughs>
3: Can we just
1: oppose that with like his the other sweater-wearing uh, intro where he talked about Uh, mr rogers because that's definitely (laughs) two opposite ends of the spectrum but i'm here for it
2: listen i contain multitudes
0: (laughs) (laughs) so alex for those who have not listened to the podcast that much and may have missed the fact that you're kind of an unofficial co-host but an official october co-host why don't you tell people where you're from and why you're qualified to talk about freddie krueger
2: yeah, so I work for Friday.com as the assignments editor. It is a genre and horror news and review site. I'm just a big, big fan of the genre of horror, of spooky things. And uh, yeah, that's kind of my qualification. Just like, I love spooky stuff, and so I'm here.
3: <laughs>
2: I'm not going to lie. All I keep thinking now with these intros is,
3: Alex, get a guy who can do both. One who can build you up and then cut you down.
0: Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Is that
3: one me?
1: One could tell you how great your day is about to be, and the other one who could stab you while you're running down the street. Like, that's Alex. That's, that's I'm all about it.
0: For reference, please listen to our Mr. Rogers Matters episode. It will give you all the context you need.
1: Or
3: Captain America. Yeah, and
1: literally any other episode, because Alex is definitely the most wholesome person on the planet. He just happens to be on, like, this slasher episode. It it happens, you know? He also
0: did our first slasher episode and our second slasher episode. <laughs>
2: Apparently, yeah, I have a very specific brand, and it's very weird.
0: So, our opening question is real simple. How much do you know about Nightmare on Elm Street?
3: I know the guy's name is Freddy Krueger. I know it's something to do with dreams. A bunch of people died. It was supposed to be like almost like a comedy-type thing, and that's about it, and they made a lot of them. <laughs> you uh, described
0: yeah. a lot of horror movies right there.
3: Yeah, seriously, that's not exclusive to... Okay, he had claws and a sweater. He clearly itched a lot. He
0: had claws?
3: Claws and a sweater.
1: Yeah, for those of you who can't see Matt um, on the video, he made a claw motion and it was (laughs) hilarious.
0: Adrian, what Uh,
1: about you? I mean, for me, I mean, I think it comes as no surprise 119 episodes in that I'm not a big horror fan, like, literally at all, but Nightmare on Elm Street is I just find it hilarious because of how over the top it is and my dad used to have or my I guess I have them now cuz I have his like DVD collection but all of like the the Nightmare on Elm Street's movies and what I remember what I remember the most is this one end episode like where they're at some asylum or something like that and he's like controlling her with her veins in her arms or something Or something. And I just thought it was like the funniest thing ever. It just looked really funny with like 80s graphics. But the one I remember the most is Freddy versus Jason. I think that's where I get my most Freddy Krueger stuff from. Uh, Alex is wiping his head and is obviously angry at me. And I'm sorry. No, not at all. Uh, (laughs) But I'm judging you,
0: but yes. That was a lot of judgment (laughs) going on.
1: Yeah, I know. I feel really judged right now. And I'm just trying to say that I understand the story, I know where he comes from, but. I find his movies funnier than I do scary so I can watch them Mm -hmm. and like get drunk and like laugh at them.
0: That makes sense.
2: Yeah, no, that's completely
1: accurate.
0: Um, yeah. So I love night. I like, I love the nightmare on Elm street series. It's real good. Bad. There are real, real highs. There are real, real lows. Uh, and, uh, it's probably heretical, but I think that New Nightmare is the best sequel ever made to a film. Uh in, in a horror Oh, that's franchise. a that's
2: a big call.
0: I know. I know it is um but it, it we'll talk about. I have an entire section dedicated to New Nightmare cuz I think when it comes to horror movies, New Nightmare is like my favorite sequel ever made. Excellent. Um, so, I got hot takes. I got hot takes. Can't wait for it. On On Mr. Fred Krueger. Alex?
2: Yeah so my first memory of Freddy Krueger and Nightmare on Elm Street was a mask in the costume aisle during Halloween when I was like six probably uh, and not really knowing much about it and then kind of through cultural osmosis becoming aware of the franchise. uh, I remember in The Wedding Singer when that kid runs through the house wearing a mask shouting I'm gonna get you and chop you up. Uh, and then uh, as an adult, finally sitting down to watch Nightmare on Elm Street after having, I, before I got into watching horror movies, I went through a phase of just reading about them. So like I'd read through all the Wikipedia's and I knew all the lore and everything. And I finally sat down and watched it. And honestly, like I'm with Adrian and that like, it's maybe too comedic for me. There's just, there's just something about it that like I end up laughing and it's like more ridiculous than anything. Like in the first movie, there's the whole sequence where he has like cartoonishly long arms and then he like disappears behind a signpost like it's Looney Tunes, and I get that they're in a dream realm, but it's just it's a step too far for me.
0: So I will <laughs> say this: I think I'm the only one of us here who watched it as a child.
2: Well, that's okay. Probably why it's that me definitely hasn't influenced you. Well, yet. I mean, depending
3: on the thing, I probably watched it when I was about like seven or eight. Does that count?
0: You called him the Claw Man.
2: I mean, I like Doctor Claw Maybe. and Inspector Gadget.
0: <laughs> Did it scare you when you were little?
3: I mean, I guess a little bit. I mean, I feel, like I said, I still think a lot of it's just kind of over the top. And like I said, it's kind of like a comedy.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, like, I completely agree that it's, like... if I, I think, like, the biggest thing for me is if I had... If I, like, I watched it as a kid, so I have the memories of getting scared, like, crapless by it. Mm-hmm. Um, But... I also really love that, like, they hardcore leaned into this is over the top, and like, we're going to make you laugh. Like, it was purposeful. Yeah.
1: What, what do you classify so. as a child, Kate? I'm curious. Yeah.
0: I was like six.
1: Mm, six. Okay. Yeah. I, was, like, I remember real watching this. Young. Yeah. I remember watching this in like middle school with like, my friends. So maybe what, like, 10, 11, 12, I guess. Okay.
0: Yeah, and and I would also and I thinking
1: it thinking it was hilarious, but I also watched Chucky as a kid and thought it was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It was terrible. Murdering people. So I would also, def- I could definitely, I can definitely see where you're coming from.
0: Because I would also like to add in that when I watched scary movies, I watched them with my cousins who were complete dicks, and would then scare me after I watched the movies with them. I e. Our pet cemetery or or, or Stephen King episode, where I told y'all how my cousins hid under the bed and grabbed my ankles after we watched Pet Cemetery. So,
2: regardless of Pet Cemetery, that is not okay.
0: Nope. I got real scared and I like ran and jumped onto the bed for the like at least a good year or two.
2: It's the responsible thing to do (laughs) jump
0: over the kukui. Um. Uh, But yeah, no, that makes sense. Like I would totally like to get just completely hammered and watch like the first five.
2: The only limit is (laughs) yourself here. Real good.
0: (laughs) Um, But yeah, so to start it off, we're gonna start off with a synopsis, kind of like we did for our Hellraiser episode. Um, A little bit different in that the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise has some really pivotal moments that span its nine film franchise. That being said the most important of them is still the first one, and it is the most iconic of them for a lot of reasons. So I'm going to cover that really, really in-depth with a couple of more covered in-depth along the way. Um not going to give Dream Warriors a lot of love. I'm sorry in advance. Um
3: All I'm getting hearing is you did not care for Hellraiser Summer Edition, or Santa Edition.
0: It was the Hellraiser Christmas special, Matt. Get it right.
2: My bad. And no, did not care for that.
0: <laughs> um, so the synopsis is this. And this this, this is the synopsis for the first movie, but it, like, it serves as a through line. Like, Freddy's mm-hmm. motives pretty much stay the same the entire time. Um, so Freddy Krueger, a disfigured midnight mangler who preys on the teenagers in their dreams, which in turn kills them in reality, stalks the children of the adults who became vigilantes, who killed Freddy after they thought he was molesting their kids. Um, turns out he was not doing that. He was just a child murderer. They didn't want to lean all the way in. Um, oh, and there's and reason for
2: that. Did you did you cover that at all in the in the outline?
0: Uh, so I talked about Wes Craven just wanting to shy away from it because of what was happening at the time.
2: Oh yeah, that's that's uh, basically it. The original script it was that he was a pedophile, and then like there yep. was like an actual too close to home news story, and he was like, "Ooh, never mind. Let's not."
0: Yep. <laughs> um uh which uh in the remake they said, Nope, Mr. Craven, we're changing it back. They
2: went hard into it in the remake and I did not care oh, for it.
0: It's real bad. Um so as so the cool thing and what starts here is one person has the nightmare with Freddie and then they slowly realize that everybody in their friend group who are the kids of these adults are all starting to have the nightmare. And they're all starting to see the same guy. And then one by one, they all ended up getting killed off. And so Nancy begins investigating why this is happening. And then it ultimately leads to her realizing the dark secret that her parents have been keeping. And she ends up unraveling what happened. But you ultimately end up with her and Glenn, played by Johnny Depp, um, try- like getting really, really close and then it leading up to Glenn having the most iconic death in horror in my mind. Yeah. Um. Uh. Blood fountain. Uh. And leads to Nancy Nancy facing off against Freddy. And uh. The the crux of this was Freddy thrived on people believing in him, and she turns her back on him, and essentially says, or she says something to akin to, "Um, I take back all the power that I've given you." And then it ends, but. It doesn't uh, because, fun fact, Wes Craven only wanted to make one, the story of all horror movies. He also didn't right. think that they would get funded for another one, but um, the producer on the film wanted there to be a hook for a sequel, and so in in one of like the most iconic closing shots of especially uh, an 80s film, uh, you have Nancy walking out Thinking she's defeated Freddy Krueger. Her friend's getting in a car. A convertible. The top going up on the convertible. And it's Freddy's sweater design. And then you see uh, the three creepy girls. Doing the one, two Freddy's coming for you. Yep. That scared the crap out of me when I was little. Um, and then you have her mom getting sucked through a little window in the door. And that's the first Freddy movie. Um, but yeah. Any questions?
2: No, I mean that
1: pretty much covers I'm, it. I'm sure you're going to cover this when we get to like the so much Freddy part of this thing. But what movie am I thinking about? Because that sounds totally different from the movie that I remember the most of these nine movies.
0: The asylum like, one is Dream Warrior. So in yeah,
1: the Warriors, one that she said we weren't going to talk about.
0: My bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think Dream Warriors. He, is good
3: job, one Adrian. One given that all the coverage up we're going to get.
1: Pissed
0: on by a dog and coming back to life that way. That actually happens in a movie.
1: Was this three Nightmare on Elm Street three? Do we not like oh, that one? Oh no, is that that, the bad that one? was
0: that that wasn't three. But yes, Dream Warriors is three. And what happens is you have the last remaining Elm Street kids. They're trying to uh, essentially like all of their parents and everything are like gaslighting them, <coughs> which is a common theme throughout the entire film series. Is the kids are saying, "Hey, there is something messed up here," and their parents either are too drunk to care, too busy to care. Or just straight up don't believe them. And so you have Nancy coming back into the film franchise because she wasn't there for two. And she ends up working as a therapist for them. And all of them end up taking on Dream Warrior personas in which they fight Freddy in their dreams.
1: I kind of like that. Uh... It's fun. It's a real fun movie. (laughs) Okay, sorry. (laughs) Like
0: Like Dream Warriors is one of those good bad movies. I just, it's nothing...
1: Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's like it was just so bad that I just like enjoyed it, how bad it was. Because what you described is much scarier, and I probably yeah. blocked that out of my head in there's, that rewatch. There's of also the, the, <laughs> the dream
0: movies. child where she has a child, and the child is Freddy.
1: That, yeah, that, that rings a bell. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah, that's the only question I had. You, you can go on to your history. Sorry. I was just curious of like where this place is. Like, because I was just really confused with, like, the premise and why this dude is, like, uh, puppet mastering kids off of, like, buildings.
0: Yeah, yeah. uh, When it's, like,
1: takes part on Elm Street. So I was just kind of confused.
0: Yeah, so essentially, like, Elm Street was chosen by Craven to kind of, like, showcase this, like, perfect piece of Americana. Um, But the through line is that uh, Freddy Krueger is trying to always go back and get the Elm Street kids, which just really means the kids of the parents who killed him to begin with.
1: Mm, Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Cool. There were a lot
0: of them. The entire all of the parents like ganged up and it was it was a big thing. Gotcha. I also... Not only did I consult Wikipedia, but I also watched a four-hour documentary that chronicles the entirety of the uh, Freddy, uh, Freddy Krueger franchise. So uh, it much. It talks with all the cast members and everything like that. It's on Shudder. It's really good and really insightful, I will say that. Um, it's called Never Sleep Again. Shout out. Um, but anyway, so going back to 1984's Nightmare on Elm Street, which is the first Freddy film. And talking a little bit about the history here, um, the film itself is classified as a slasher and it was directed by Ru- Wes Craven and produced by Robert Shea. It's the first installment of the series and uh, Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy, is one of the most pivotal characters. We're going to talk about her later. Uh, John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Amanda Wyss, uh, Jesu Garcia. Fun fact of Jesu Garcia, he pretended uh, he is credited as Nick Corey in the film because his agent told him that they will not hire Hispanics if he pretended to be Italian. Mm. Uh, but since then... That's
1: problematic.
0: Was, yep. Uh, but he also needed to work. So, like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, of course, Robert England as Krueger. Kruger, um, as well as Johnny Depp at, with his film debut, which was funny because Johnny Depp almost wasn't cast because Wes Craven said he looked emaciated.
2: I mean he does a little bit
0: <laughs> and then like one of I think it was either his daughter or the, the casting director's daughter but one of their daughters was like no dad he's hot and then they casted him and he took off um so is
1: is he hot? I don't I don't have the right perspective to answer that question he was hot. He had okay, a crop cool.
0: top and he was real hot in Nightmare on Elm Street gotcha He also dies in a giant blood fountain.
2: It's just, it's a volcano. Yes.
0: so good. And we're going to talk about that effect. Because it was also really dangerous and almost got people killed. Um, This, so I will say this. This film series and everything behind it is real wild. Like, is everywhere. Um, So... Uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street contains a lot of biographical elements from Wes Craven's childhood. The basis of the film was inspired by several newspaper articles that were printed in the Los Angeles Times in the 1970s about South South Asian refugees who, after fleeing to the United States because of the war and genocide in Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, suffered disturbing nightmares, and so they refused to sleep. Some of the men ended up dying in their sleep soon after, and medical authorities called the phenomenon Asian Death Syndrome. The condition afflicted men between the ages of 19 and 57, and believed to be sudden unexplained death syndrome, or uh, Brugada syndrome, or both. Um, So in the documentary Never Sleep Again, they have footage of Wes Craven explaining how, ultimately... He took one specific death where the parents were trying to get this young, this, uh, this young guy to, they gave him sleeping pills routinely to help him sleep. Um, and one night they heard a lot of commotion coming from the room and the, the kid, the, the, like teenager was like seizing on the bed and they turned out that he had, he had hidden all the sleeping pills, hadn't taken it all. And he had a coffee machine in his, in his closet where he was just trying to get as much caffeine as he could to stay awake. And he ended up dying. Um, and so that was what he uses as the basis to kind of build the idea of essentially, like, being too scared to sleep. And then ultimately, like, bringing Freddy into it as the kind of method of keeping him mm-hmm. alive. And it's also one of the reasons why, like, uh, beyond the comedy, because, like, these films are really comedic. Like, they're they oh, yeah. really border on horror comedy. Um, There is an underlying trend of addressing trauma and how it just kind of sits with you, Um, but that's only in, like, three of the movies. Naturally, yeah. So, (laughs) um, uh, Craven stated that it was a series of articles in the LA Times, three small articles about men. Oh, I already said that. It's just in his words. Um, and then he said the 1970s pop song Dreamweaver by Gary Wright sealed the story for Craven, giving him not only an artistic setting to jump off from, but also a synthesizer rip for the movie soundtrack. Craven has also stated that he drew some um, some inspiration for the film from Eastern Religions as well.
2: I hadn't heard um, about that. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. Um. Just like with Hellraiser, the censors had a frickin' feel day. With uh, with Night Round Elm Street, because there's a lot of blood.
3: Hold uh, on, hold on, hold so on. We weren't from yeah, Hellraiser. I, would... we, I was like, we weren't oh, from Hellraiser. The blood didn't matter. It
2: was the sex. No. It was the yes, spanking. It was
0: the sex. Yeah, it was the spanking, <laughs>
3: not yes. the
2: knife play.
0: Yes, Adrian, you should go listen to our Hellraiser episode. It's a, it's a. DVD. Please,
2: do. between
1: Christmas episodes and spanking, I'm just real confused on how that episode <laughs> went. We all, given are. the Hellraiser <laughs> pictures that I've seen. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, so uh quick down and dirty about Hellraiser, <laughs> Uh the first movie's real good, the other nine are real bad. Real real bad. And it's everywhere. <laughs> and the first movie, which is extremely has extreme graphic violence, was the, the censors, the MPA looked at it and said, This is too much. And did not tell them what to change. And it ended up resulting in that like there was a certain scene where a woman was fantasizing about things. And instead of having it where he is like spanking her in the thing, they had to take that out and and but they left him essentially like running a knife down her body and stuff. Uh, that weird. was R rated. The spanking made it X rated.
3: But he nice only got play. two thrusts and not
1: five thrusts or something like That's that. That's true. Yes. Three to was too much. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, he could only do three thrusts.
1: Yeah, that sounds like the keen Peel skit. <laughs> it really <laughs> where he sports does. Sparks from my like contact yeah that's what that's yep. exactly what that sounds like They're like no nope. it is real bad. they're like they're waiting they're waiting for the fifth thrust, and then they throw the flag
0: yes, yes. yep uh, so going with the trend of the m p a not knowing what the hell they're doing uh the m p a a when they got a Nightmare on elm street they it required two cuts for them to get down to an r rating. The theatrical version was released with an r rating with and thirteen seconds of cuts in the u k The film was released theatrically on home video uncut (laughs) and the Australian theatrical release was edited to an M rating, but the VHS home video was released uncut in 1985 with an Australian R rating. And the uncut version would not see a U.S. release until 1996.
2: And Um, now it would all just be VOD.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
2: (laughs) Yeah, seriously.
0: Uh,
1: Yeah, none none of that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking back to Matt and I's recording for our Patreon uh, <laughs> a review of Airplane hashtag plug for our Patreon because we review movies. Uh, Airplane came out what, like 1980, and it what well, was PG, and it blew my mind that it was PG because like there's literal naked people in that movie, and people are literally hanging themselves, but there's some, but this one like is pushed to art? I don't know. It's super crazy. So fun
3: fact that 80s I... 80s is a,
1: such a weird time for for ratings of so movies.
3: So fun fact that I learned from when I actually said this episode last week of Alex informed me that PG-13 did not exist until 1986.
1: Yeah, I think we talked about that a little bit, right? Like, we're like, well, there's no... So like, either either you're good or you're bad. Yeah. But like, where, where's the line here? Random boobies in your movie, uh, people, nuns hanging themselves, PG spanking killing kids in their dreams are yes. Yep. <laughs> 80s weird time,
3: which apparently uh, I was remembered so yeah. and I realized that Jaws is also PG.
1: Also like, <laughs> no, please don't.
0: <laughs> uh, so uh, fun fact about uh, the nightmare on Elm street franchise coming. Off, so essentially what happened is when you have the seven, when you have Halloween in the seventies, that started the big revolt of uh essentially like the critics and a lot of like parent organizations saying that like horror is bad and it's going to cause violence and so because a night round elm street was so focused on teenagers and like told from the teen perspective and actually had them doing more than just getting killed like in uh like in halloween and stuff ultimately it led to a lot of people discussing like okay it's rated R and you're saying that kids aren't going to see this but this film is this film is made for that audience um which led into this whole debate as to whether or not horror will make kids kill people um which is hmm. why a lot of horror movies end up getting rated a lot harder than other films at the time
3: you didn't know oh, movies make people kill people
0: yeah um anyway so there are nine, wait, one, two, three, four, five. Yes, nine films in total. Including uh, You have the a remake? Nightmare on Elm Street, including the remake. Okay. So you have a Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. You have a Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. A Nightmare on Elm the Street The best four. one.
1: The best one.
0: <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Dream Master. A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child what Freddie's terrible name. the final <laughs> freddy's dead the final nightmare west craven's new nightmare which that is like the most important film in the franchise outside of the first one it's because that deeply is all, meta that is, it, it not only is it deeply meta but it is the first time that west craven comes back to actually write and direct it with oh i didn't know that Freddie that's Caesar interesting universe. i mean he i guess it makes sense given the whole he only film.
2: wanted one
0: and so he did the screenplay for a couple of the other ones. But this is the one that he writes, directs, and has complete re- control over.
2: Nice.
0: Uh, then you have Freddy vs. Jason. Uh, also
1: really, really good.
3: I can't believe this movie came out in 2003. I remember this and I kept thinking, like, oh, this got to be an old movie. Well, technically, I guess 2003 is almost like 17 years old. But still, like, wow.
1: So I
0: remember loving this movie when it first came out. I don't love it anymore because it's really out there.
1: Don't you don't you badmouth the director of Fearless, okay?
0: I know, Ooh. Ronnie. You. Um, <laughs> fun fact about Freddie and versus Jason. Everybody on the cast and crew is still really mad that uh, Kelly Rowland uses a homophobic slur uh, right before she gets killed because they didn't write it in the script, but they didn't have time to change it.
1: She ad-libbed that? Yeah. Oh!
0: And so in the Never Sleep Again documentary, everybody from the film that they talked to, so, like, the writer, the director, like, Mm -hmm. all of them are still really pissed about that. Because there was no way that they could redo it. And so, like, essentially they had different cuts, but when it went to the studio, the studio chose that one, and when they pushed back on it to redo it, they didn't have time. And so that's what made it into the final film. And a lot of them really hate it because it mars the film for a lot of them. Especially because um, what we'll cover a little bit later is A Night Around Elm Street also has the first male scream queen. And it also is credited for being uh, one of the cornerstones in queer horror with the second film. So, yeah.
1: Gosh, that's crazy. I didn't realize about that.
0: that. Uh, and then we have the completely awful Nightmare on Elm Street, 2010.
2: Yeah. Man, I didn't realize that that was almost a decade ago.
0: Yep. But apparently... Uh, that
2: one... What? Oh, Jackie O'Haley signed on for three movies. And they only did the one, and apparently it had... St- what I was reading was it had strong financial success, but then the critical backlash was enough that they just haven't done anything.
0: Yeah. Uh if you don't know, uh Robert England has played Freddy Krueger in every single iteration except for this one. Uh in uh Freddy's Revenge, which is Nightmare on Elm Street 2, they actually casted a different Freddy Krueger and in the middle of production, they ended up swapping him out and putting Robert England in because it didn't work with the other guy.
2: Like Eric Stoltz and Michael J. Fox. Yep. <laughs> it's a real bummer to get to the point where you're already filming things and then being told sorry it's not working. Yeah, Wait, yep. is
1: Jack Haley not good in as as Freddie? Okay.
2: No. It's here's the thing. I actually really? I didn't hate what he was doing, but the script I just was like it wasn't a good script and they went way too hard on the whole pedophile angle.
0: Yeah, so there's so there there are two things. Uh one, it's not a bad performance. It's not Freddy Krueger. It's, it's, a, it's the gritty
2: impressive. reboot of A Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: Yeah. Like,
2: yeah. they take away and, all comedic elements. They make him actually look like a burn victim, which I thought was really interesting. Um, And then it's just he's super sinister and menacing, and, like, there's no relief from that. He's just horrifying.
0: And then it's gotcha. also... Then the other problem for me is they actually try to throw in some Freddy one-liners... And they uh, don't Yeah, every now and then. Because Jackie Earl Haley delivers them in just menacing. There's yes. no charisma or anything. Uh, the one Which, that like, I
2: remember is when she's, like, wading through the hallway full of blood, and he says, like, how's this for a wet dream? Yep. And it's so like, bad. hmm, gross. What? Like, yeah. It's not good. Yeah, <sighs> yeah it, they, they honestly tried because... to do, like, a Dark Knight reimagining of A Nightmare on Elm Street
0: and the thing that is hilarious and it's one of the things that has solidified Robert England as Freddy Krueger and it is one of the reasons why Robert England has said he will continually come back to be Freddy Krueger is because that is ultimately his character and like he also a uh, fun fact when it comes when it comes to Freddy Rome Liars, um uh Freddy's Dead is the first movie to ever reference a video game like a like a like a a video game joke uh so he says i'm now i'm playing with power which is a power glove reference yeah yeah yeah. um and like robert england's really proud about that
2: that's that's awesome and i love that He well and that's the thing is like he's just such like a fun goofy guy and then he plays this character who is also honestly pretty goofy and i think that that's where the reboot kind of went wrong was that like Part of what makes Freddy work is that he's goofy, and like it's yeah, and I, like I was watching it, and I was like, man, if this wasn't a Freddy Krueger movie, if this was just like a weird supernatural ghost thing, Jackie Earl Haley is nailing it. But because yeah. it's Freddy Krueger, it's it just doesn't work as well.
0: Well, because uh, how's this for a wet dream? Is actually from I think it's from either Dream Master or Dream Warriors, but it's <coughs> from another Freddy film. So there oh, is like I have heard Robert England say that line and yeah. it works
2: <laughs> it's so, yeah like, well and you just
0: you lose all of that in the reboot and that's why a lot of people hate it
2: yeah well and also I, th- I think the big thing for me in the reboot that was kind of troubling was that the whole thing is that they're leaning really really hard on the pedophile angle but then you have one of the kids being like oh he was probably innocent and it's like no man he probably molested you and you blacked it out but the movie like has one of the kids defending him to his parents and it's like I don't like what you're doing here.
0: Yeah, so, like, what they tried to do in A Nightmare on Elm Street is, uh, the 2010, was they tried to make it so that, like, Freddy's manifestation was actually from the the kids unblocking their trauma. And essentially what it ends up doing is like it pulls the old bait and switch because usually what happens in horror films and it's like an established trope is, you, and, and it's, it's really common in a lot of ghost stories in horror where you have somebody who was wrongfully killed for something that they were accused of doing and so they leaned real hard into it and they're like, no, nah, yep. no, he really was a pedophile. Yeah. um So it gets, yeah, it's real bad. It's not well done. It's ham-fisted. Uh, Rooney Mara's like just Rooney Mara, so she she's just not a good Nancy. I was
2: I was reading on IMDb, and apparently she hated being in this movie so much that it made her want to quit acting.
0: Oh gosh, <laughs> uh, that's so bad. Um, but,
3: but is yeah, it after so the like, way you are talking about it? Is it really that bad?
2: What the way I mean,
3: you honestly, are talking about this movie? Like, I mean, is it really that bad that she thought that? <laughs>
2: No. no, it makes no. sense.
1: Yeah. I
0: understand her. It's okay. I mean,
1: I I, I went back and, and and looked it up, so I was curious. Uh, that dream, the, the wet dream comment is from Nightmare Nightmare stream Four, Dream Master. Um, and as another shameless plug, I'm only able to know that Jack Haley was the other person and the other wet dream joke because Kate did a really good job of like putting the uh, f- nine movies on this show notes. So if you're a patron and want to like know things while we're talking. Definitely go look at our show notes because this is, this is a really good, really good graph. It takes you right to, the, right to where you need to be on all, on all these movies because I'm totally lost but only cut up because of the show notes.
0: There's a lot. Uh, Those are also only
3: will... Kate's notes. Mine are all bullet points. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is definitely a Kate thing. <laughs> <laughs> Kate <laughs> definitely, definitely has the the links to everything.
0: Um, but the cool thing is, is like Freddie's longevity and like some of the like the iconic things from him. Like a lot of it are these one liners, which is mm-hmm. why I don't like it. Because like one of my favorite lines is from the first one where he 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 tells uh Nancy, "I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy."
2: <laughs> oh yeah
0: and then his tongue comes through the phone um, the tongue phone is
2: one of the worst things it's, i'll i'll it's send so you a picture good. of here, though um i don't remember if i have the tongue phone but somebody bought me vintage uh, one of the other writers of friday vintage nightmare on elm street like stickers and i think tongue phone might be one of them
0: oh i love tongue phone tongue phone's good um and then he also says this is god um in, oh in the yeah first one as well um he's he's okay more that's menacing, actually less that's a point in
2: personally. the remake that i actually liked is there because there is a scene where like he's chasing a kid through the dream and the kid says something like oh my god and he just says no god just me and it was yeah. like oh that works like that was a good line and jackie earl Haley nailed it oh yeah
0: that one was good oh and then of course there's welcome to Prime the amount time, of times bitch. that
2: he employs that word in the frame. like i know that rick and morty eventually just turned it into a joke and maybe that's more what i'm thinking of but like Robert Englund is maybe maybe as I am maybe it's just the Raiders. But yeah, it comes up a lot.
0: Yeah, I would also just like I would personally love to just go have oh, yeah. a beer with Robert. Talk England.
2: about the Paper Brigade
0: because he's just like yeah, he's also just like a ball of joy. He's, he's made like kids' sunshine. movies and Nightmare also on Elm real menacing. <laughs> Like
2: that's kind of it.
0: So as we move through the re- so I probably should have said this was a but why though it's a fact that there's a lot of Freddy. Freddy is everywhere. Um, they also made a Freddie anthology series uh in 1988 called Freddy's Nightmares. Uh and it was an anthology series in the vein of the Twilight Zone, which featured different horror stories each week. The show was hosted by Freddie Krueger with Robert Englund reprising his role. And Freddy ended up playing like a background character and would occasionally show up to influence the plot in episodes and be like a through line. The series ran for two seasons for a total of 44 episodes that ended in 1990. Although most of the episodes did not feature Freddy making a major role in the plot, the pilot episode, No More Mr. Nice Guy, depicts the events of Kruger's trial and his subsequent death at the hands of the parents of Elm Street after his acquittal. Uh, and that one, the reason it was so good, is horror legend Toby Hooper, who created the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise... Uh, shot this. Whoa. He was the director on it, and he based Freddy Krueger's acquittal. Um, uh, Freddy Kr- Freddy's acquittal is based on the arresting officer, Lieutenant Tim Blocker, not reading him his Miranda rights, which is different from the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and essentially, uh, in that one, he was acquitted because someone Something forgot like him, a, a warrant. And then after the oh, parents- it's something like that. Huh? It's like
2: somebody just didn't cross all their T's, basically.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And then after that, the parents go and they burn him, um, and then Freddie gets his revenge. Uh, but yeah, uh, that uh, in in the documentary they they talked about this for like quite some time. And essentially, as it started off, it started off really really good because you start it with Toby Hooper. Who is he? He oh, yeah. is one of the best directors, especially for that grindhouse mm-hmm. type look and style. Um, and then they start lowering the budget, lowering the budget, lowering the budget. And when you watch the directors of the different episodes talk about it, they were like, "Yeah, it was just a fucking party on set, and we decided to just one up each other on how much crazy stuff we could do." And there's one where they, like, make Freddy Krueger come out of somebody while somebody else is having sex.
2: I'm sorry, say that one more time.
0: It's crazy. Yeah. So it's two people having sex, and then Freddy Krueger ends up just bursting out and, like, killing somebody. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really not sure if me
1: and Matt have ever been more confused on an episode That is wild.
0: Yeah, it's Freddy Krueger. It's crazy. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. It's a lot you think <laughs> um <laughs> what matt
3: i said you think
0: <laughs> yeah it's a lot it's 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 crazy uh beyond that he's also in books so between 1987 and, and 2003 freddy krueger appeared in the novelization of each of the films the first five films were adapted by saint martin's press and those adaptations follow the films closely with only minor changes to specific details that occurred in the film and it ran Random Street Three does not follow the respective film; instead, utilizing the same plot elements to tell a different story altogether. And the novel provides a different backstory for Freddy. In <laughs> what?
3: Just Adrian. Nobody likes your movie. I know, right? <laughs> like, I,
1: thought, <laughs> I don't know. It's the only one that sticks out to me because I remember watching and just thinking it was the most hilarious horror thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And yeah. it, it's just stuck in my head. It's just one of those things. I saw it when I was a kid, and I can't get it out of my head. It also and has why I'll like- Go ahead. Sorry. It's just why I'll never find Freddy Krueger scary to me. Like it it's just that scene is just hilarious. And why I thought like Freddy versus Jason was just just the dumbest movie I've ever seen and why I had a great time watching it.
0: Dream Warrior. It also has a killer song called Dream Warriors. It's really good.
2: Was that this in the era it. where so everybody got a, a rap song to go with dragon. their movie?
0: No, because okay, you know that there is the Freddie
2: Raps album, right? I'm pretty sure that the one yes. of the local record shops has it on vinyl and I, I don't need it, but I want it for the wrong reasons.
0: I have all of the Addams Family rap songs of on course, my Halloween. Absolutely. Playlist. Like
2: there's no, there's not another option there.
0: Uh, But yeah, so uh, it's okay to love that one. Uh, Adrian, it has sick hair metal, hair metal songs. Um, I'm,
1: I'm listening to it as we speak.
0: It's it's real good. I really like it. This is also one of the this is also the first film in the franchise where they actually get diverse in their casting. Took them well. a minute. <laughs> um, I can
1: see that. Yeah. Uh,
0: but yeah. So in 1982, they released adaptation. Uh, Abdo and Daughters ended up releasing another set of adaptations of their own for the first six films. Um, they were written by Bob Italia, and each one was under 100 pages and followed the film's plot. The final two books, Wes Craven's New right- Nightmare and Freddy vs. Jason, were published by Tor Books and Black Flame. And these novels are followed by- follow the films closely with the adaptation of Freddy vs. Jason, containing a different ending than the movie. Uh, which, fun fact... Uh, tying it all together with Hellraiser. The original plan was to have Freddy and Jason end up going to Hell and then having Pinhead rise up. And that's how they wanted I to want raise it. I want Cenobite Freddy. It. But they didn't have the rights to Pinhead. They didn't have the rights to him, so they couldn't do it. They couldn't go but get the rights funny. for that? <laughs> It was funny because they all essentially came up with so many different endings for it that they wanted to do and didn't have rights to do any of the endings because they wanted to pull in more people. Uh, they worked with Sam Raimi and Sam Raimi wanted to. Oh, yeah. It was going to be asked versus Ash versus Freddy versus Jason, which I would watch, involved. like watching
2: him try to fight the two of them.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. And then, of course, like any good horror franchise that has gone on way too long. There are comic books, and the popularity of the film also led to creation of several comic book series published by companies such as Marvel Comics, Innovation Comics, Trident Comics, Avatar Press, and most recently, Wildstorm. Press F to pay respects. It's uh, like, right how many now, of those so- still exist? Huh?
3: How many of those still exist? Marvel. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, and there have, been con- uh, there have been crossovers with other franchises. Which is Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, the Nightmare Warriors, which is what people wanted to make.
1: So I don't know, man. We keep referencing Nightmare Warriors. Just saying, <laughs> <laughs> it keeps coming up.
0: <laughs> um. So the next, but why that was just Freddy himself. A lot of people may not think of it, but Freddy was really, really unique to the time period of the slasher. Uh, So on Freddy's Nature, Craven stated that in a sense, Freddy stands for the worst parenthood and adulthood, a dirty old man, the nasty father and the adult who wants their children to die rather than help them imposter. He's the boogeyman and the worst fear for children, the adult that's out to get them. He's a very primal figure, sort of like Kronos devouring his children, that evil, twisted, perverted father figure that wants to destroy and is able to get them at their most vulnerable moment, which is when they're asleep. Uh, so like that is what the basis for Freddy is. It's supposed to be real scary, um, but ultimately, Craven strove to make Krueger different from the rest of the horror film film horror film villains of the era. Uh, all of the villains at the time were all in masks and they mm-hmm. all didn't talk. So you had Leatherface, Michael Myers, Jason, and Craven recalled in 2014. I wanted my villain to have a uh, my villain to have a mask, but be able to talk and taunt and threaten. So I thought of him being burned and scarred. He uh, Craven also felt that the killer should use something other than a knife because a knife was way too common. So and from from Craven, so I thought, how about a glove with steak knives? The, the
2: only thing less common than a knife. I is gave the five idea to her. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. um, I like how they're explicitly
3: so, steak knives, so. though.
0: Yes, uh, so essentially Craven took this to their special effects guy, Jim Doyle, and he made two models of the glove. Uh, the hero glove that was only used whenever anything needed to be cut, and then the stunt glove that was well, wait, less not, likely to cause injury.
2: foolproof, but just less likely. Yeah. They used butter knives. Oh yeah, I was reading movies, about that. Uh, the kid from actually, the uh, 2010 version actually ended up getting cut in a scene because the knife didn't retract.
0: Yeah, in uh I believe it is the second movie. They had a giant Freddy prop that they had made super super big because they were doing a close up of like okay. something coming out of somebody, I believe. And wait, no, was it the fourth one? Anyway, one of the movies, they had a small woman holding on a beam, a giant Freddy prop, and then the prop fell. Oh no. And she fell. And the prop fell on someone. Freddy's out to get you. It was. Re- There's a lot of issues <laughs> on this film, but all of those stem from like the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, even when they suck, went all out when it came to practical effects. Um, like all the time, to the detriment of the people working on it, a lot of the time. <laughs> so at the time, Craven had considered a sickle to be a weapon of choice for the killer, but then as he got to the third fourth area of the script, uh, they ended up just finally deciding right. the glove, which was a really good choice because that's probably one of the it most really iconic. It really is. Also, I want to say real Freddy. quick,
2: the the whole thing about I imagined, you know, everyone had masks, so I imagined him as being scarred and burned. I feel like the original look for Freddy Krueger looks like someone who has only had a burn victim described to them but has never actually seen one. <laughs> yes yes
0: and then when you see him in new nightmare the only bad thing about new nightmare is he looks like his action mm-hmm. figure so he's like super smooth
2: yeah and then you get to the 2010 As remake so and he actually looks like a burn <laughs> victim and it's just really weird and not what you expect freddie to look like
0: yep um but yeah uh so Uh, The other thing about Freddy that makes him not necessarily unique, but they use it for symbolism when you start looking into the film and you actually do uh, media media studies, Uh, Freddy exclusively attacks teenagers, and his actions have been interpreted as symbolic of the often traumatic experiences of adolescence. Uh, Nancy herself is, like, like the archetypal teenager, experiences social anxiety, and her relationship with her parents becomes strained. Nancy also just has really terrible parents like her mother is an alcoholic and she's like mom I'm being chased by somebody why are the doors locked and her mom is drunk on the couch (laughs) leans up and goes it's locked it's locked and then passes out again
2: it's not a one player game yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) so sexuality is also present throughout all of the films Uh, Including Freudian images and almost exclusively, and they're almost exclusively displayed in threatening or mysterious context. Uh, Essentially, like, Tina's death visually looks like a rape. Mm Freddie's glove between Nancy's leg in the bathtub. Uh, In Nightmare 2, Freddie actually puts his claw in Jesse's mouth. Nope. Um, Yep. It is all real sexual all the time uh they lean in hard uh so ultimately west craven has explained that the notion of the original screenplay was that uh and to quote that the sins of the parents are visited upon the children but the fact that each child is not necessarily stuck with their law is still there um and then ultimately robert england who plays freddie observes that in nightmare and um, this is from robert england uh, quote in nightmare all the adults are damaged they're alcoholic they're on pills they're not around um and then uh he adds the adolescents have to wade through that and heather is the last girl standing she lives she defeats freddie and then uh this was in an interview and then langen camp who is who played heather heather langen camp who plays nancy in the first movie uh ends up agreeing saying nightmare is a feminist movie but I look at it more as hmm. a youth power film because yeah. it's about kids overcoming the sins of the parents and then ultimately being able to stand up for themselves and understand that they're not crazy. There is actually a man trying I to live their dreams. Um, so those are some of the more uh like deeper takes on the film, uh, and that's also why it kind of uh, stuck around for a long time uh freddy is one of the most iconic horror villains freddy is also the reason that this film works freddy freddy's image uh in the first film they didn't lean into putting freddy on everything every subsequent film they did freddy's face was everywhere and it sold tickets like a lot um this leads us to our, our next but why though is new line cinema who essentially rose to becoming one of the most prolific like indie film indie film distribution country uh companies uh led by Bob Shea. They led to essentially empower filmmakers all of the time. Um and and essentially all of the money that that the franchise from Nightmare on Film Street did and I keep Nightmare, Nightmare on Film Street's the name of another website. Um, it is that I really like. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street did was it allowed New Line Cinema to make more indie films. So when people talk about New Line Cinema, which is now gone, dead, it's it doesn't exist anymore, uh, New Line Cinema was the house that Freddie built. Mm-hmm. Because on the backs of those eight movies, because uh, the, the ninth movie isn't made by them, you have almost all of New Line Cinema's re- revenue and it's a very big thing to think of when the first film that New Line, one of the first films that New Line Cinema bought distribution rates for was uh John Waters uh, oh, okay. Pink Flamingos. Uh which Wait, is, wait,
1: wait, wait. What? Wait, wait, Kate. Are you saying that we wouldn't have Lord of the Rings without Born into Freddy Krueger? Yes. That is Yep. That is a fantastic but why though? <laughs> It is that's the house that
0: Every time it, it was going to close, his money just... So
1: it's it's like Jordan Peele and Blumhouse? Rush Hour, Shazam, Mr. Deeds. That's that's fantastic. That's a huge bit why, though. I, all the other stuff you said is fantastic, right? But, like, it building an entire yeah. cinema that's given us such great movies that wouldn't be here without this just ridiculous horror movie that you've just described for the last 50 <laughs> minutes... <laughs> Freddy Krueger awesome.
0: is a mess. But, yeah, we haven't even read really like, the lore of it and how yeah, he made like awesome. a deal
2: with dream demons and all that stuff. It goes off the rails later on.
0: So the next but why, though, is like essentially we all have bad dreams. One of the reasons that Freddy works really well as a villain is because there is no way to escape him. And as he continually shows in every freaking movie, there's no way to kill him. He just keeps coming back. So, so I'd like to point out
3: here, you all called me crazy because you sided with the killer, but you are now stating there was no way to kill him in your dreams. And the only way to get out of here alive is to probably join him in the first part.
0: No, he still kills you. He doesn't let anybody live, Matt. It's fine. Uh, The funny thing is, or the cool thing about Freddy versus Jason is they made sure at the end to have Freddy's head wink after Jason decapitates him um because essentially what happens is the kids realize that jason can pull freddie out so then they get jason to pull freddie out of their dreams after freddie was using jason to make the kids scared of him so that he could get power <laughs> and micro naps somehow like wait is this one micro naps or is the micro micro naps micro napping right? is a big is part of the remake Okay, that's what it is.
1: Yeah, Not I don't remember fun. micro-napping in, in one of the best Freddy movies that's ever. Just if, you know, that's just Batman. That's all I know micro
3: from is? is Batman.
0: <laughs> no. um, but yeah, so we all have bad dreams. And uh, ultimately, critics and film historians state that the film's prez- prez- premise is the struggle to define the distinction between dreams and reality manifested by the lives and dreams of the teens in the film. And... Ultimately, like when it comes down to it, that's like the crux of the film. It's how it's able to do all the extraordinary, campy, practical effects things is because it lives like as much as the danger is real, it's also very fantastical, which mm. really really helps it get get its footing. Um and then when we do talk about Dream Warriors, uh Dream Warriors is actually the best example of what the film tries to do as teen focused. In that it, like I said earlier, it's a whole bunch of kids put into like a mental asylum, uh, because they're crazy because of Freddy, and nobody believes them, and they have to fight him off.
1: Yeah. Um. As like as much as like I've given this franchise its craziness, and if you listen to Spocky's part, this is like literally why I don't watch scary movies because I have just messed up dreams that don't allow me to sleep, and I sleep bad as it is when I watch scary movies. It just That's like just prevents me from sleeping. So. Yeah, right. So, like, even though the irony of, like, this dude killing people in his dreams, I just find it hilarious. Like, Freddy doesn't Freddie doesn't come to my dreams, but it's, it's a real problem for me. And why I don't watch scary movies is because of the premise of Freddy Krueger, which is ironic, I think.
0: But, yeah, ultimately, like, the premise of having somebody just stalk you in your oh, dreams yeah. is real scary. Um, and it was in the first film, and I know a lot of people don't think about it because it is so comedic, like comedic. And we think that um, there is a scene in the hallway where a girl, uh, the first girl to die in the in the movie, is in a body bag, and she's standing upright, and there's blood everywhere. It's
2: awful. It's
0: a terrifying scene because it's. It's terrifying. Like, that scene still looks scary now. Like, it is probably the only scene in the first Nightmare on Elm Street film that holds up as being actually scary. Um, and when they talked to the actress, she said a lot of, the, like, the writhing in the body bag was because she would get claustrophobic oh, that's even and worse. scared in it. Because there's no zipper on the inside. Yeah, that's so
2: much worse.
0: Yeah, so she was like, yeah, every time I went into that, to do it, I would have to trust that the people on the outside would get me out, and it messed with my head.
2: Filmmaking. Yeah.
0: Yep. But they didn't starve their actors yes. like the Blair Witch. Yes, it
2: is a step up from the Blair Witch. <laughs>
0: Um, and so that blending of reality and dreams is something that we're, that I, I, I am sad about, that they don't pull through for everything So as far as being really well done, and that's also one of the reasons why I really like New Nightmare. Um, but uh, this also opens up to the other but why, though, is the practical. The vast majority of every Nightmare on Elm Street is practical effects. They did everything they could with practical. Um, and the best example of that, uh, one is from, I said I wasn't going to talk about Dream Warriors, but now I'm just talking about Dream Warriors. One of the examples is the giant fret in uh, I believe it's Patricia Arquette, ends up getting eaten by a giant Freddy worm, and it's a giant frickin' puppet. It's a giant puppet that's about, like, ten feet long, and the actress fit inside it. And then they would puppet it, so that was Freddie was eating her, which is really insane. Um, but the best example of all of this outside of that is the very first movie. The first movie had eighty effect, eighty practical effect moments in ninety minutes, and it was filmed That's in so days. much. And the main ones uh, are the blood fountain, yeah, uh, the ceiling scene which was just the first kill. A girl gets pulled up to mm-hmm. the ceiling and then falls onto the bed. Um, and then the bathtub where Freddy's hand comes up. Uh, so, all, so all of these were practically built sets. For the bathtub scene, it was actually had a... It like, you had the guy who was Freddy... You had the actress on top. I'm making a diagram with my hands. You had the actress sitting in the tub that they built... And then you had the practical effect guy who was the hand who would sink into the deep tub and then he would like go underwater and then put his hand up through it. And it was like a really. So is it like an L
2: shaped tub with like space for someone to stand under the water? That's
0: what it looked like when they were explaining it.
2: That's so creative, but also like, man, just that's a lot of commitment for that shot.
0: Yeah. And so he was essentially in water the entire time.
2: Nope. I'm good. I, Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot.
0: Uh, and then uh, what they built for the uh, ceiling scene and the blood fountain scene was a rotating room. So what the practical effects guys did was they built a room and they would flip it for certain scenes. And so the first scene that they did this in, they had the actress. Uh, she gets dragged across the ceiling. And she was terrified because she actually thought she was falling and like Wes Craven would have to like stop what he was doing to go and be like, no, you're fine. Look at this. You're fine. And then they flipped it. And as soon as they flipped it, bam, onto the bed and like splattered blood everywhere. And they did that by literally making a room that they could turn. And that's how they shot those scenes. Um, and then...
2: I think that's also how NSYNC did the Bye 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 music video. <laughs> You're mean.
0: Yeah. Um, are you
2: glad you brought me on? I'm <laughs> yes. really glad I brought you on.
0: Uh, blood Fountain is the most dangerous and the most hilarious in that, um, you have the bed up top. You have the blood that would then spill out. And when they all, they did it all in one shot. So every blood fountain scene ever shot is in that movie. It was one take and they couldn't mess it up, which meant when uh, the blood was too much uh, and the guys who were actually working, uh, so, so what happened was the guys who were actually working the, the prop, the, the spinny room, they ended up almost dying. They're not dying. They, they kind of almost died. One of them like got close to passing out. Uh, The blood essentially, like, went in their mouths, in their faces, and it was so much that they almost, like, drowned a bit. Um, But that's not the best part, or the worst part. The worst (laughs) part is that there was an exposed electrical wire, which made the blood water become electrified towards the top, so the guy who was dropping it down ended up getting shocked.
2: Yeah, man, aside from the fact that it seems like an expensive shot to have to redo, just the risk to personnel feels not worth it.
0: It's one of the most iconic things in cinema, so. It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it was the um, 80s.
0: But yeah, I, I would 100% say that if you don't want to sit through, four hour, through a four-hour documentary, um, at least go watch Never Sleep Again for the, the history of the first film. There's so much in it, and they talk to the props, the prop guys, they talk to the actors, they talk, they have Wes Craven in it, and you get to hear him, and it's, it's really worth it. Um, But yeah, that's just the first film. That's not even counting all of the other, uh, not counting the last one, eight, not, seven films Mm -hmm. that also have a lot of practical. Um, So... The next two but why those are, I'm going to focus on two films uh, that I think are two of the largest points in the franchise. Um, and the first is that um, Nightmare on Elm Street's 2, Freddy's Revenge is a queer horror staple now. Um, obviously, I'm not queer. I can't speak from that perspective. Um, But at Fantastic Fest, uh, I got to listen to Mark Patton, who was the star of Nightmare 2, talk about his experience making it, the fallout from the film itself, and also got to see um, him talk with queer horror fans on how that film has become formative for them and their identities as horror fans. And, like, this is now a film that gets shown at midnight screenings and it has drag queens opening it. And, like, it's a film that, like, has been, that when it came out Mm -hmm. was hated by critics and all that stuff. And now it's loved, like, deeply, deeply loved. Um, And so Nightmare 2, uh, you have Mark Patton, who stars as Jesse Walsh, Uh, He's also known as the very first Grim Queen, and in all honesty, I think he's the only male final... Like, he's the only final boy?
2: That I can think of, yeah.
0: I mean, I guess maybe Ash?
2: Kinda. But
0: not really, like... And then me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have
2: a hat that says final boy, I can claim that.
0: (laughs) I endorse it. Um, And so the premise of the film is that Jesse Walsh moves with his family into the home of the lone survivor from a series of attacks by dream-stalking monster, Freddy Krueger. There, Jesse is bedeviled by nightmares and inexplicably violent impulses. It turns out, Freddy needs a host body to carry out his gruesome vendetta against the youth of Springwood, Ohio, which is where Elm Street is. While Freddy gains influence, Jesse and his girlfriend, Lisa, race against the clock to figure out what's going on. Um, The important thing and one of the largest things about this film is that through the entirety of it, like, Freddy is literally coming out of Jesse, and Jesse is having to struggle with this identity and having to struggle... With letting it come out. And so, a queer reading of the film is very much that this is coping with your identity as somebody within the LGBT uh, plus community who is struggling with their sexual identities. And that is what it has become. Um, that being said, the director, David Caskin, K- uh, or Chaskin, um was a real terrible person about whether or not this film had queer undertones or even overtones uh initially when the film came out um the advocate which is i think it's like one of the longest running uh gay magazines said that this was the gayest horror film ever made um and given that this was in the 80s and it was right before the aids crisis um you ended up with this film being maligned and because the director did not want to get thrown into that pile, he essentially scapegoated the film star, Mark Patton. And this was Mark Patton's like first big break into Hollywood and it was also like this ruined his career because the director essentially blamed everything on him. And at the time, Mark Patton wasn't out yet. And the director essentially said that the movie was a gay movie because they casted the wrong guy and the actor was too gay to play straight. Um, and so he put it on everything, despite this movie having a script that has a gym teeter- teacher getting tied up with his arms up and Freddie killing him by slapping his ass with a towel. It was Mark Patton's fault, according to Dave Caskin, Not the fact that, is... that they actually have them go to a gay bar. What? Yeah. And it's funny because, it, it, I mean, it's not funny overall, but when you, watch the, uh, when you watch the documentary and you have the entire crew talking about it, one of the guys straight up says, I didn't realize we were making a gay film. Oh, my God, I was so stupid.
2: I mean, yeah, like and also again, going back to the whole idea that he blamed the actor saying, well, he was too gay to play it straight, it's just like him being gay does not affect the fact that you wrote a scene where a man is like towel snapped to death. Yep. Like that is a scene you chose to cool put in. Full butt naked. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Um, the worst thing, as soon as Kaskin or Taskin saw that he could make money off of branding it as one of the first queer horror films he started doing that and then all of a sudden it was gay from the start
2: Uh, of course this
0: is after he actually said that his film was meant to be homophobic and not homoerotic because that is why he made. at the end lisa saves him and so like He's saved by a woman, and so he was like, it was supposed to be this. You were supposed to think it was gay. But it was supposed to be a homophobic movie. Like, that is an actual quote from the director who is now trying to take credit for doing this after ruining Mark Patton's career. Like, it's real bad, and that man is real gross. So Mark Patton has claimed that the film's gay subtext was com- increasingly emphasized throughout the script's rewrites as, proje- as production progressed. Um, he told BuzzFeed in 2016, it just became a deniable, I'm lying in bed and I'm a pieta, and candles are dripping and they're bending like phalluses and white wax is dripping all over the place. And then uh, Mark Pettit says, it's like I'm the center of a Bukaki video. <laughs> He's not wrong. Uh, when you watch... When you watch this film, it is sexual. This is also the film where Freddy Krueger puts one of his knives in in his mouth. Um, Robert England has since since anybody ever asked him about it. Robert England has always seen this film as being that way. He's never said it wasn't. Uh,
2: Interesting.
0: Yeah, because uh, Robert England said that like one of the things Freddy does is consistently like use sex. And so he saw it as no different than uh, with Jesse than with Nancy. Um, And so Patton has explained that he felt betrayed by the filmmakers since he knew the filmmakers were aware that he was gay, even though he was closeted in the public. And they had considerable leverage over him in having him perform a role that combined with his performance as a gay teen in Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean the year before, uh led to him being typecasted as gay and the role called attention to what he was trying to avoid and would have forestalled him getting any significant roles in the 1980s um one of the reasons i got to hear mark Patton talk about this was because there's a new documentary called scream queen my nightmare on elm street where it's just about his life and his his struggle with this and how he kind of like rebuilt himself after this um And he explained in that documentary that after Nightmare on Elm Street 2, his publicist came in and said, you're never going to work again. You can't play Mm. straight. And he just, he ended up quitting and he left. And he was like, he was, he ended up going to go live in Mexico, like off the grid, essentially. And he only resurfaced when they reached out to him for the Never Sleep. Never sleep again documentary. Um, and so in particular, Patton himself blames Traskin, who says uh who, who he says claimed the subtext arose from how Patton Patton played the part. And saying, I love when he uses the word subtext. Did you actually go to a freshman English course in high school? This is not subtext, <laughs> which if you watch it, it's not, it's very overt um nobody ever affected and uh, uh Patton explains nobody ever affected my confidence the boys that threw rocks at me nobody but this man did uh, chaskin as i said denied for years that there was any gay subtext in the screenplay instead at one point he ended up telling a reporter that Patton was simply too gay for the part as i explained earlier um and essentially the emotional film on the stress just led Patton to leaving um and england has been one of the main proponents the film's queer reading. Uh, there's a quote from Robert England where he talks about Freddie being bisexual and that, like, this film was an exploration of that sexuality, and he's hmm. never shied away from it. Um, and then now you've had like, there was this really ugly history to what happened in this film and how Patton was treated, but. It was like we went to a drag show. Like Matt and I were we at a drag show in the middle of Fantastic Fest that was celebrating Mark Patton's birthday. And they came out with a with a with a cake that was Freddy Krueger's head.
2: That's delightful.
0: It was like it was great and it was one of those moments and in 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 Mark Patton's documentary, um, Scream Queen, you get like they purposely talk to like Queer scholars and uh, queer fans, and they talk about how this film affected them when they watched it, and how this was one of their gateways into horror, and how it was one of the ways that they looked to horror because they saw it as a place for them. So, as much as Chaskin is a terrible person, there's a legacy that this film has left that that exceeds him and really lies on Patton, and so like Patton is really loved in the horror community now. Um hmm. also, really big fun fact, as much as critics hated this movie, the studio only expected this movie to do 70% more than or 70% more than the first one, which was 10% more than what sequels were doing. It ended up doing 150% more in revenue than the first Freddy Krueger movie.
2: Nice. nice.
1: Yeah, talk about taking it back, right? Like seriously, that might be one of the taking it taking it back to you know the under un, under marginalized communities in that way right if you went to a drag show in 2019 and they still were celebrating this that's crazy
2: right yeah that's that's like incredible reach and legacy yeah it was it was just it
0: was really beautiful to see like i'm not a part of that community but i like For me, horror has been something where, like, weird kids liked horror, and I, like, being othered, it was what I went to, and a lot of the times, like, that's what the stories are, so I have found a home in horror, Mm -hmm. and so getting to be at Fantastic Fest and listening to them tell their stories and their experience with horror, it was, it was really amazing.
2: That sounds really cool.
0: So, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if the documentary has a distribution date yet, but I would definitely, if you're listening to this, you're a Nightmare on Elm Street fan, um, I would go check that out uh, when it drops. Um, or just go watch Never Sleep Again, because Mark Patton did it, and he talks about all this, too. Um, or
2: stop sleeping, start drinking coffee. Yes. And then have your own Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: naps. naps. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My last bit why, though, is really just a personal favorite that I had to touch on. Um, Wes Craven is known for jumpstarting meta horror. I don't care if you at me with the Jason 6 or whatever where they have Jason cards. That's not the start of it. Wes Craven is, and a lot of people reference Scream. But the true start of Wes Craven's fascination with horror is Wes Craven's new nightmare. Um... If you don't know what this film is, it's pretty bonkers. So Wes Craven's New Nightmare is the seventh film in the franchise, and it essentially is a Freddy Krueger film that has Freddy at the end, and entirely is focused on Heather Langdon Camp, who plays Heather Langdon Camp,
2: who played it's Nancy. So- it's so ridiculous as a concept, but it works.
0: And it, it's it's a film, like, to put it, like, I'm trying to explain it in a way that's like easy to understand. It's like they used all of the original actors, came back from the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, and played themselves. They live in a world where everybody knows about Freddy Krueger, and they talk about it. And Freddy Krueger is a reality in that the Nightmare on Elm Street film series is a reality. Wes Craven shows up. As himself, writing the script for the next Nightmare on Elm Street movie in New Nightmare.
2: That's a lot. It's a lot to take in.
0: It is so much, but one of the things that New Nightmare does that is beautiful and probably one of the best moments for me as a fan of A Nightmare on Elm Street, of of the series is that Heather Langdenkamp is on a talk show and all of a sudden then they bring out Freddy Krueger which is Robert Englund in full Freddy getup and the entire audience loses it and they're all cheering for Freddy and they're all in love with Freddy and they couldn't care if Heather is on that stage or not and that is actually something that happens if you ever get to go to a screening with somebody who's played a slasher villain. Mm-hmm. They're the stars. Nobody cares about the final girls when the killer is in the room. And it is crazy to watch and think of. And so far as I know, that was actually based on a real experience that Heather Langdon Camp had at a screening in The Nightmare on Elm Street where Robert Englund came in unexpectedly and ended up pretty much stealing the show.
2: I mean, I I kinda get it. Like I think that it, it definitely sucks uh for her and, and for people in that position, but I can see why people would gravitate toward like you're the guy. Like this is what I'm excited about. Um, but yeah. it also is kind of concerning because it's like that's not the person you're supposed to identify with or be rooting for.
0: Yep. Um, in the film essentially what happens is like Freddy ends up like thriving on all of this and he's looking for belief again, to kind of, like, bring him back to life. And it's done through her son, Dylan, who is, like, it's not dream child, but it's a little dream child Okay. In that he, like, haunts, so, like, he, Freddy Krueger ends up haunting all of them and slowly starting to manifest in the world, and the person most sensitive to it is Dylan, which is Heather Camp's kid. Um, And so she has to, like, save Dylan because Dylan is the one who is experiencing everything that Nancy was experiencing. It's real weird. Um, But it's also real cool. It is my favorite horror sequel. Um, It's real meta. It's a lot, and it all circles back around to the fact that this is the second time that Wes Craven is is in control of his property, and he knocks it out of a park. And I I don't think that this film gets the uh, respect that it deserves for what it did as a commentary on the slasher genre, even before Scream. For sure. Uh, And it's sitting at a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes.
2: What year did that come out? That came out but, I
0: mean, in nineteen ninety
2: four. Okay, that's about what I was thinking.
0: Yeah, it's real good. Um, it was made on eight million and ended up making twenty.
2: That's not bad. That's impressive. <laughs> yep. More money uh, than I've made. So. I mean.
0: <laughs> um. But yeah, that's all I got. That's Night on Elm Street. It's all crazy, weird out there, and uh, has some pretty deep moments.
2: Yeah, I like it. Final yep.
0: thoughts.
3: Um, I've seen the first one. It's been a lot of long time ago. I'll probably never watch any of these other again. Um No offense if they're good or bad. I remember Freddy versus Jason coming out and people being excited and remembering how ridiculous this was. Um I knew the entire thing was ridiculous. Obviously, people love it. Um I still don't I'm not a fan of horror. It is what it is. Um I don't I don't know. People're going to watch it. It's weird. I don't know if they're actually going to make another one. We're going on 10 years now, but I guess based on this timeline that they've been chosen, we should be due for one any now, any time now. But obviously since the last one in 2010, everybody seems to hate. I don't know if we're going to get anything.
1: I'm going to in my final thoughts. Uh like I said at the beginning, I've always saw Freddy Krueger when it comes to the uh kind of horror genre. I've always thought that, like these movies are funny. I've learned a lot when it comes to kind of, I know coming back to like the new line cinema thing, I think that's crazy that like this genre, as funny as I think it is basically set forth some of like the greatest movies ever, one of the greatest trilogies ever and a whole bunch of other movies. I think that's super cool. And I didn't understand or know about the kind of queer horror staple. So I definitely learned a lot of why this is more important than me just thinking this stuff is funny. Um, and I would go back and watch him. I'd go back and watch him. Like, if Kate was like, hey, you want to go watch Nightmare on Elm Street and drink some yeah. drinks while we watch it? I'd totally be down for that. And then Discord Alex in there, too. Be down with that for sure.
0: i tried to do a spooky Sunday with Nightmare on Elm Street. It's been removed from all streaming services. The yeah, only one I, know. I could find was... I was, was, I was literally
1: going to try and, like, get in there while I was out of town just because I wanted to laugh at this movie. So, I feel you.
0: Um, so I do want to make a correction <laughs> back to dream warriors. Uh, the prop that had the lady fall when she was holding it, it was a dream warriors prop because Freddy consumes the kids and you see all their faces oh. in his, his chest. And they did that on a giant scale. Um, so I just want to correct myself and not get added. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I've pretty much said all I have to say, uh, my hot take stands, New Nightmare is the best horror sequel. Um, if you have not seen it or have only seen it once, I definitely would say to go rewatch it. Um, get a shutter subscription and watch Never Sleep Again, or at least watch it in sections. It's a four hour documentary, it's a lot. Um, but yeah, I love Freddy Krueger and I love the fandom that he's built. Uh that that's built around it. I think he's one of the most recognizable people. And I will say one of my favorite experiences of Fantastic Fest was just seeing how many people rallied around Mark Patton and not necessarily rallied around him, but like appreciated him and showed him the love that he deserved. So, yeah, Alex.
2: Yeah, I think A Nightmare on Elm Street Matters. Kind of in a similar capacity to how the Adams family matters in that it kind of functions as a gateway for people to get into the genre. I think not just on a personal level, but just in a, in an industry level, the 80s slashers for better or for worse were kind of what made, what made horror more mainstream. This genre that for decades was just seen as being crude and perverse was suddenly something that people were lining up to see and, and were really actively engaging with. And I think that Freddie played a big part in that just by being such a large personality and having Robert England give such an iconic performance to it. Uh, so I think it, it matters in that capacity that it normalized the genre, which is a genre that I will always advocate for as a way for us to engage with deeper or more uncomfortable or harder truths. Um, but then also just like we've been touching on, the whole idea of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 being this piece of queer iconography and a place for um, people to kind of like see themselves and their experiences reflected on the screen... I think is really, really important. And that alone makes this franchise matter.
0: Alex closing it out real well. This is why we bring you on.
2: Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that.
0: Uh, but yeah. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you?
2: Yes. You can find me on Twitter at most always Alex. You can find me on Friday.com doing genre and horror news and reviews. And you can find me on game boys, which is a co-op gaming podcast that I do with two of my friends.
0: Oop, Awesome. Uh, and you can find the podcast at why the PC on Twitter and everything else. Twitter is where we're most active. You can also, if you want to see my awesome and super detailed notes, you can subscribe to us on Patreon for a dollar. Um, love us a little more. You can give us a little bit more and get access to exclusive episodes where we review films. Um, a lot of them are bad. Uh, so it's fun. Matt and I reviewed a silent film. It went exactly as you can expect. Um, <laughs> and uh, that is at patreon.com slash PC, and you can find me on twitter at ohmymythrandier. Adrian?
1: You can find me on twitter at superreach93 S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z 93. Matt? I'm
3: gonna go burn some sweaters.